Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 205. My guest today is Itzara Onarath. He is a distiller in Maryland, and he's making Lao Lao. Lao Lao is a rice whiskey from Laos. I've been looking for somebody to talk about this for years now. And so I'm really fortunate that I have somebody right here in the States who could talk to me about it. We did this one over the phone. We couldn't link up. It's a pandemic, folks. But still, really cool that I got to chat with him about this. The last time that I had something similar, so I've had his. His company is called White Tiger. And you can go to the show notes for this episode and find links to the social media so that you can find out more. And if you're fortunate enough to be here, on the East Coast, and they sell it at your liquor store, buy it. But back to the last time I had something similar. It's when I was in Borneo in 2018. It was the last time I was in Southeast Asia. And I was in the, it's outside of Kuching. Uh, there are longhouses there. And I had met a man named Lucian who runs a cafe, really wonderful cafe. And I was talking to him and I was like, I want to go to the longhouses. I don't want to do that sort of tourist thing if they do that here where you go and people sort of put on a show because they think it's what you want to see. I just want to go and see it and have food and talk to some real people. And he was like, oh, we can go to my friend's house. And so we went and we had incredible vegetarian food. And out comes this bottle. It's the old apple cider vinegar, that Bragg's company. And it's full to the top with this rice wine, Tuak. And you don't stop passing it around until it's gone. <laughs> and when it's gone, whoo, you're waking up next week. But it's an awesome experience. And it's fun and it's tasty. And you're telling stories and you're laughing. And I love that experience. The last time I had White Tiger was when I recorded with uh, Manila back in, oh, must have been also 2018 or 2017 at his place in Bushwick. And so I was really excited to get to learn about rice whiskey and to represent Laos a little bit more and to share his story today. I have some really fond food memories from Laos. I told some of these in the old Luang Prabang episode, but particularly I had crossed over the north part of the river. It, it cuts through the city like a, like a horizontal horseshoe kind of. And I had gotten on this floating barge. I still don't even really know if it's a taxi. I guess it was but I had met this Canadian couple uh, and they were also English speaking and other than them, I was the only one who was English speaking and I couldn't read the signs and I had asked somebody and we had a difficult time interpreting. So I didn't really know. I was like, I I'd like to go north, but I'm not sure if this is going there. But yeah, it did. It took us over the river and man, it was hot. So I'm walking around, checking things out, 
a little different there in the uh, north of the river than in the actual city itself. So I'm sweating and it's it's rough for me. <laughs> but I'm having a good time and eventually I'm like, oh, I should get back. I'd left my friend Kevin. I had didn't have a SIM card, had no way of letting him know where I was. And when I was waiting for the barge to come back, there were these women selling something out of these wicker baskets. I didn't know. And it was wrapped in banana leaf. I'm thinking, oh, that's got to be rice. That would be awesome right now. I need something in me. And it was rice wrapped around kind of like a custardy, yogurty filling. And it was the first time I'd ever had that. And I was just in heaven <laughs> waiting for that barge. So I have very fond memories of Luang Prabang. And this was a really cool one for me to be able to do. The Lao food movement is growing. And that's an exciting thing. So I'm going to recommend that you check out two Instagram accounts. I think even if you don't have an Instagram, you can check out accounts, right? But one of them is called Lao Food Movement. And you'll learn a lot there. Like they're, they're constantly promoting uh, individual meals, but then also businesses and places and restaurants around the United States and around the world. And the other one is Laos Supply. So with an S on it. And... That's a company itself, but they also do a ton of promotion for Lao companies. It's an amazing account, and you can learn a lot. You can be influenced to check out a lot of these really great companies, um, and I would really recommend that. So I'll, I'll also link to those in the show notes and when I put this on social media so that you don't have to write that down and remember. Okay, folks, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. You'd enjoy it even more if you actually sat down with some Lao Lao and sipped it while you listened. But if you don't have access to it right now, that's okay. Just enjoy the conversation. Well, hey, thanks for doing this. Thanks for taking the time this morning. I know it's a little early, so I appreciate it. No, no problem. Thank you for reaching out to us. Oh, yeah, of course. Hey, you're doing something uh, cool and exciting and I think pretty unique. So honestly, the, the pleasure is all mine. This is cool. Um, all right. Is it is it okay to ask you um, your family's story of getting to the States? Yeah, yeah definitely. Cool. How, uh, let's start with that. Okay. So, you know... My family is originally from Laos. Uh, that's uh, Southeast Asia. Uh, so right after the um, end of the Vietnam War, my uh, family, you know, we left Laos as refugees. Um, so we, you know, my mom basically took uh, like eight kids uh, with her under, under the cover of darkness and uh, escaped out of Laos and into the refugee camp into Thailand, Thailand uh, yeah. crossing the Mekong River. And then from there, we reunited with the rest of our uh, brothers and sisters that had already left. And um, then, uh, you know, when you're in, in a refugee camp in, in Thailand, there's like a lottery system where, um, you know, you, you assign a number, and then when your number comes up, <clears throat> you get to uh, pick where you want to go. And, and it was either Australia or United States. So my family uh, chose United States. And um, 
1983, 84, I want to say, we uh, immigrated to the United States right here in uh, Texas, uh, Amarillo, Texas, as was a port of embarkation. And, uh, and we settled there for a couple of years. We got sponsored by a Southern Baptist uh, family, uh, family there. And they took care of us for a year. And then after that, we were on our own. And of course, you know, when you come to a new country with a different language and, and really um, communication was an issue, couldn't really find jobs and so forth. So um, my family ended up moving to California. Um, I think it was San Diego. That's where we went for San Diego, California. And um, found jobs there. And then, yeah, and that's how we came to the United States. Uh, we came as a refugee right after the fall uh, of the, the Vietnam War. How old were you at that time? I was two years old when my mom decided to cross the Mekong River. And then when I got to the United States, I was about five, six years old. So do you do you still have memories from that time? No, not really. You know, yeah. I, I have vague memories. Of, <clears throat> I think so. So we when we went from Thailand, the refugee camp in Thailand, we went to uh, the Philippines. Yeah. Uh, There's a naval base there uh, in Cebu. Cebu, I think is how you pronounce it. Yeah. And uh, and uh, I remember playing, you know, out in the the dirt ground. There's a game. It's we, you know, we play. It's, it's called the line game, basically. It's a big square, and you draw the line with chalks or something like that. And no, it would, no, not dodgeball. But we, you stay on the line, and you try to attack the other person, and you can't get off the line. Oh, okay. So basically, you run, you run around the square, and then there's line that goes in between, so you kind of take a shortcut. Yeah. And so, so I remember playing that, you know, when I was younger. But other than that, that's the only memories I have. Um, of, you know, of us leaving the Laos to coming to the United States. Okay. When I was in Cebu, there was a game that kids would play where they would line up on each side and they would wing their uh, their sandals at each other. And they would, no, no. <laughs> they would really whip it at each other. It was kind of like dodgeball, but it was wild because they'd be nailing each other in the head. Yeah. It was a funny game. Um, okay, wow. So... Um, at some point then, did you end up in Maryland or was that later in life? That was later in life. Uh, uh, you know, I joined the Army um, after high school at 19 years old. And throughout my Army career, I, you know, traveled different states around the world, did a couple of deployments to, to Iraq and so forth. And uh, I ended up coming to Maryland as to be the company commander at Abbott Improvement Ground. And um, I stayed here, you know, in 2009 when I got to Maryland. <clears throat> and I've been here ever since. <laughs> yeah. And then I decided to, uh, you know, I did 20 years in the Army and, and uh, as a captain, and I retired. Um, so I decided to retire and stay here. And, you know, we like the, the four season that Maryland could offer. And, uh, you know, but, you know, as an officer, they always say, always plan before you execute, right? Yeah. So I knew retirement was coming. So I was like, man, what am I going to do when I get out? Yeah. So I saw Moonshiner, <laughs> the TV show Moonshiner. I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make some booze. <laughs> so, okay. In in the time when you were a kid in California um, and the time that you entered the, and the time that you entered the armed services, I, I would imagine that 
going back to Laos maybe would be a tough thing. Um, I'm sure that there's, you know, a lot of emotion, a lot of memories and trauma and, Mm. you know, you left a very difficult situation. But had you been back to Laos at all in the years that you were growing up? No. I just recently went back to Laos uh, last year. Wow, for the first first time. time in 40 years. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Do do you still have family there? Families, yes. We still have families there, yes. Whereabouts are they? uh, In the capital city, Vientiane. Okay, yeah. uh, That's where where my family's originally from, Vientiane. Oh, wow. um, But but where I went was, so it was more like a business trip, so I didn't really visit families and friends. Um, I know now my siblings have been back multiple times. I just, I, that was my first time. So I went to Luang Paban for a business trip to involve my company. And uh, as part of the, the Lao food movement uh, yeah. in America, to where we're trying to make Lao food more, uh, bring it up to, to, the, uh, to the lights. Because, you know, Lao food has always been in the background. And I, I guarantee you, if you've been to a Thai restaurant, it's probably owned by a loud person. <laughs> you know, nine out of ten, nine out of ten of Thai restaurant in the United States is owned by a loud person. Is that because just, like the American market is familiar with Thai food, but is less familiar with Lao food, and it's it's easier to market it that way? Yes, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I love Lao food, and that's one of the, the Lao food movement is one of the reasons why I love having people involved in that movement on the podcast. And you do something I've been looking for someone to talk to me about for a long time. Uh, uh, you make Lao Lao, and so I want to unpack this a little bit. Uh, so uh, I've been to Luang Prabang. Um, I've been all over Southeast Asia. The nice. most recent time that I had something similar, I think was in Borneo, they make, I'm assuming it's similar, but you can clarify that for me, but they call it tuak. And it is, they were calling it rice wine. I'm wondering first if if rice wine and rice whiskey are a synonymous term. No, it's actually um, different. So in in parts of Laos, uh, rice wine is the dominant drink. So that's basically... um, Fermented rice, you know. Yeah. Um, in like uh, there's this drink called lao hai. Um, it's basically you ferment the rice, uh, the rice wine in a clay jar, and then you bury it for like a year, let it ferment on, you know, underground, and you bring it out, and then you. Uh, so by t- when the rice ferments, it's gonna float up, mm-hmm. and in between the bottom and, and the rice is just the liquid, right? It's the wine. So what they do, they stick the um, the bamboo straw right through the rice cap and then drink right from that. Whoa. And that's called, that's called Lao Hai. And it's very potent, real yeah. <laughs> and sweet, very sweet, uh, naturally uh, sweet. And uh, But you will get messed up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. So, yeah, so Lao Lao is, is the distilled version of the, of the, so traditionally, you know, distilled rice whiskey was not common. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the wine version of it. It's just the common one. So, you know, so sometimes, so there's Lao, there's Lao Hai, then there's Lao To, which is a rice wine. Uh, so, and you know, and it's the same thing. It's just a uh, different region of Laos call it differently. Ah, uh, okay. And so again, I might be mixing up, 
exactly what you just said from my experiences, but I remember having something that the the liquid itself is a little murkier. It almost looks milky. Yeah. Um, so, so that's loud, loud. Yeah, that's the rice wine. Okay. <clears throat> See, something like that, I was thinking before, like that may be, at, in that form might be difficult to market to the American market if you think about how like, People want their garlic white, even though garlic is yeah. not white, or like they want their <laughs> eggs white. Um, when when you're making your rice whiskey, is that something that you have to account for trying to have a clear liquid, or does that happen naturally? So when you distill the rice wine, so so the, the process of making lao lao is, is is the fermentation, right? Which is the first process is really making the rice wine, uh, and then from there you distill it through the distillation process. You clarify the uh, the alcohol. You purify it, so it comes out naturally clear, crystal clear. Oh wow! And, and that's lao lao. That's the clear one. Right, right, right. I mean, I I didn't realize that it was fermented in a clay jar. I had seen some people, and maybe this is the distilled version that they have. You know, it's a home setup, and it's it's almost like PVC piping that it drips out of. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So did you had a chance to visit the whiskey village when you were in North Carolina? No. Tell me about that. Oh my oh my God. So there's this old gentleman there. He's been doing this for like all his life. And his setup is just like prehistoric setup. Yeah. He, yeah. So his his fermentation is uh basically a whole bunch of little uh jar uh clay jars that he ferment his rice in. Wow. And then you know <clears throat> then his, uh, his his still is a fit is an old fifty gallon like oil barrel that he found somewhere. Oh man! That he he cleaned up and modified into a still, and then used water from the Mankong on the river <laughs> that he siphoned through wow. to to cool off the uh, the warm the the, the, the coil to, for the condensation tank. And that's how he still. And he's been doing that with no thermometer, no temperature check. I mean, this man's been doing this like old school way for many, many years. And when I saw him, I spoke to him and I showed him my picture. What I, he's like, wow, you know, like, this is crazy. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he, he didn't know, he didn't have the concept of, you know, he just knew that when, once the alcohol gets hot enough, it starts to evaporate, right? But he didn't know what temperature it evaporated at. Wow. And so I kind of gave him a little quick, a quick lesson on uh, temperature of, of different alcohols so that he can, you know, you know, quality control is a big thing in here in the United States, and you can't guarantee that in Laos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, obviously, my experiences are quite limited, but from from what I've seen, it's a lot of operations like that where people, families are making it. Are there yeah, yeah. are there companies in Laos that are mass <clears throat> producing Lao Lao? There, there, there are, but they're not calling it Lao Lao. Um, so. There's this big one in, uh, I think it's really actually Thailand. Uh, it's, um, but they're not calling it out loud. It's, I forgot the name. It's, it's a clear rice, uh, rice whiskey. Um, uh, I think, I can't believe I forgot the name. But there, there is out there, but, you know, because the rules and regulations are different in Laos, every household, technically not, it's, it's still illegal for them to distill at home, right? <laughs> but no one, no one talks. But um, the restaurant business, Source it from the local vendor, the local yeah, yeah. household, you know, distillation. So you're allowed lot that you drink at a fancy restaurant. It's probably coming from down the street, you know. 
that is being uh, distilled at a house somewhere. <laughs> and the experience I remember being very different from like sort of drinking culture here in the States. Like, uh, let me think of something like uh, people will go out to a bar here in the States and they'll have like, oh, I'll go get a shot of fireball and they'll drink that and then they'll, they'll move on or whatever. In Laos, it was like you would get your your rice wine or your rice whiskey in an old bottle of something. So it's like an old yep. Johnny Walker bottle or an old like apple cider vinegar from Bragg's I remember having. Um, and you're drinking until it's gone. And someone's constantly yeah. filling up your glass. And at the, at the end of that, like you feel like you're going to go blind. Like it's a, exactly. It's a wild experience. Yep. Yes, uh, in, in, in Laos, uh, drinking is a social uh, gathering, social event. And again, uh, Lao Lao is, is usually reserved for special events like weddings and so forth, right? Um, and and good, you know, good friends come visit, you bring out your Lao Lao. Uh, most of the time you drink the, the Lao beer, right? <clears throat> oh, so yeah. when they bring out the, the whiskey, the Lao Lao, then you're an honored guest. So, you know, if that happened, then you, you should be proud of yourself. But again, it's, it's expensive, and then it's reserved for, um, um, for for the you know for the big events and, and, and special guests. So yeah, and and you will drink the whole bottle. It's not like you get one shot and that's it. I can let me close the bottle back up. No, that bottle's gonna be empty by the time we're done. Yeah, um, there are very yeah. few companies here in the states doing this. Did you feel any pressure to, you know? to represent Lao culture and for, for people who have fond memories of Laos, did you have any, feel any pressure like, Oh, I got to get this right for them. Of course, you know, uh, because, you know, that, you know, you, you always, in, you know, embrace for the critiques, right? Yeah. <laughs> if, you know, they look at me like, who's this guy, you know, they opened back to Laos since he was little, you know, making a traditional, Strength of the country, right? Of the people, and um, and so yeah, I had a lot of pressure of making sure that you know the, every process was as traditional as possible, uh, and and also combining the technology that we have here in the United States with you know controlling the temperatures and, and and the quality control side of it. Because again, you know, there's no quality control in Laos, so I, I knew that once I perfect those two, and uh, if that it. Even, even when I first did it, you know, when I when I first distilled the first Lao Lao at my house, I uh, tracked it and I was confused. I didn't even know I, I did it right, you know? And uh, I was like, no, it don't taste like anything. <laughs> I don't know if this is the right thing. And then uh, my mom, you know, my mom was visiting. So so to go back a little bit, I, I actually learned this recipe from my mom. So mom was the moonshiner of my family. Oh. And, uh, so I found that out the day that I, you know, start this company. And because um, she was watching me in the basement trying to figure out how to make whiskey and I couldn't figure it out. So so she actually, you know, brought the family recipe, um, you know, told me about it. I followed her instruction. We were able to get the fermentation going finally and then distill the first batch, you know, small amount. <clears throat> and that's and so I, I sampled it and I was like, Mom, I don't think we did it. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't taste anything. I don't taste any alcohol. It's not, it's, it's too smooth. You know, it's like, it's like water. She's like, let me try it. So she tried a little bit and she's like, no, this is it. This is right. I'm like, are you sure? Mom? It's just, so I'll, 
I'm like, okay, we need to measure the alcohol content, right? Excuse me. And uh, so the hydrometer is what we use. And, and I bought that and uh, believe it or not, Jimmy, it was 150 proof. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. And I was like, uh, yeah. I was like, okay, that's when the light bulb went big. I was like, you know, I'm like, okay, we got something here. So yeah, so with the help of mom and her approval, I, you know, I was I was pretty confident in uh, in uh, making sure that I uh, the la la was you know as the way it was supposed to be. And uh, and then once we opened up the distillery, we had a lot of uh, visitors from the Lao community, you know, throughout the United States that were older, you know, the, the, the elderly. That they heard about us and they want to come and, and you know and, and try it and yeah and they all say this is it this is what they grew up with and uh what they remember so so definitely uh that was a uh that was an honor when that happened do you can you sell it at 150 proof yes yes um uh depending on the state you know each state has their own different re- uh regulatory uh requirement but, uh in the state of maryland as long as uh 189.99 you're good. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. And how, so I know you make a variety of whiskeys and, and products, and, and I'll, I'll ask about a couple things in a minute, but what has generally been the public reaction and, like, has, has Lao Lao been a success for you? So at first, it was a struggle. Um, like, again, a lot of people didn't know uh, what Lao Lao was. Again, going back to... Um, you know, when I was remember growing up, when people asked me where I'm from, I would say I'm from Laos, and they would you know have that big question mark hanging above the head. They, hmm, you know, they would go in and explain to them, you know, Southeast Asia in between Thailand, Laos, uh, Vietnam, and then like, oh, okay. So, so again, it's that that recognition. The name wasn't there, so people, you know, was not ready to receive it as 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 much and as fast as as I would hope. But once they understood, once they tried it, sampled the product, <clears throat> then they're like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, this is good. So, um, so, so what I did was instead of doing the clear, just a clear version of the Lao Lao, again, I like to blend the, 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 the Western uh, influence, you know, the United States influence into the product. So I started aging my whiskey. Ah. Uh, aging the Lao whiskey into, in, uh, in the traditional uh, oak barrels. And... <clears throat> and it married up perfectly. And I, it, if I didn't, if I didn't tell you this whiskey was made out of sticky rice, you would have never guessed it. Right. You would not know. That's how uh, how perfect the, the marriage was. I was going to ask about that. So I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with sticky rice. Um, you know, when I was a, a teenager and, and first having Thai food for the first time, I thought that something was added to it to make it sticky, like like a sugar or something. But it's it's a glutinous rice, and it it's it yep. sticks together. It's the sticky. it's the type of rice that it is. It, do you have to use sticky rice? And then obviously, then you're you're sourcing from Southeast Asia. Correct. Uh, so so the other type of rice that's out there, the jasmine rice, uh, doesn't have enough. I mean, I guess if you could use the other rice if you wanted to, but it, the you know, in, for a business sense, it's not really uh, uh, effective just because it doesn't have a high starch uh, concentration. So the goal of making lao lao is to convert the starch into into sugar without adding any sugar to your process. Mm. And you know, and that's that, and that's what's different from making lao lao 
and the other whiskey in the United States, um, where we don't add sugars to our product. You know, in the United States, when you make, let's say, bourbon, for example, right? You got the, the corn, the corn mash. They cook the corn um, to to extract some of the, the essence of the corn, the flavor, the aroma. And then they open a you know, 50-pound bag of sugar, raw sugar, and pour it in there. Whoa. And that's what becomes, yeah, and that's what becomes the alcohol. It's the sugar. So, you know, ah. so where the, the sticky rice, we don't add any sugar at all. That is the, it's the natural. That's why the fermentation is so long. In you know, three, four months, five months, uh, versus seven to five to seven days. You know, so it, it's, a, it's a more complex process, but at the end, end it, you get a better quality uh, whiskey. So yeah, the, the starch is important, uh, and the sticky right is the tradition. You know, it's a traditional way of making it because if you make a lot, a lot without not using sticky rice, then then you're faking it basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is I'm assuming you can have lao lao with anything. Like, I, is there any sort of traditional meal or food that's eaten with it? No, I, you know, again, uh, drinking is a is a community uh, yeah. event where you know you sit and you eat, you know, <clears throat> and you drink. Basically, you pass the drinks around. Everyone give you shots. Um, yeah, any uh, you know, any salty, spicy. Uh, you know, just kind of like the traditional Lao food that's out there. It, it goes well, spicy, salty. Um, yeah, it just because the the reason for those is when you eat the uh, the salty and spicy food, the sweetness of the Lao Lao comes out. So when you drink the whiskey, it's kind of cleansing your palate. Yeah. In between your bite, you know, so you get that natural sweetness that come out. And you're like, oh wow, this is actually good. It's really sweet. That's really interesting. So, yeah, I had always said that I felt in the States we were missing a key element of food culture really all around the world. And that is this sort of communal aspect of it. And like, you know, even when, when I was in Vietnam, like you'd see all these guys after work, they would just get together and, and have beers and, and talk for hours, like into, into the yep. dark of night. I think we're actually like closest to that now, at least in New York during the pandemic, because you mm -hmm. can't eat inside and you can't do really anything else but eat. <laughs> so people are, yeah. at least yeah. before it got super cold like it is now, like we're meeting up and hanging out outside and enjoying food. And I don't know, maybe that will be a positive from the pandemic that we start to like shift our food culture and start to be a little more relaxed and not eat fast food like <laughs> on the way home from work and I don't know. Uh, I, I'm hopeful that we can head in that direction. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, you know, life is not all about running, right? It's just, just sometimes you just got to take a pause and enjoy family and friends, you know? Yeah. And what best way to do it is to drink and eat. What I think is so interesting about you and your company, too, is like you, you learned this later and you are largely self-taught. And I was looking yeah. through like your Instagram and stuff like that. And I saw that through the years you've had, like you've had Coquito, which is uh, a drink primarily in, in <coughs> Puerto Rico that uh, people have yeah. around the holidays often. Um, do you have like a, a creative team or, or are you trying to also, you know, think about representing uh, with, uh, spirits from, from all around the world? So the coquito that uh, came about. Um, so you know, my wife is Puerto Rican. Oh, and, okay, cool. 
And so her, that's her family recipe. Ah. Um, so we brought out the coquito because uh, her brother, Carlos, uh, was a good friend of mine. And we were serving the army together. And in fact, that's how I met my wife. Uh, he was actually one of those soldiers that was shot and killed at the Coquito oh. shooting in 2014. And um, so we, we, we made that coquito drink in, uh, in his honor. And uh, so that's how that came about. Um, and then people love it so much that we continue to, uh, you know, make it a seasonal drink. But that's how you would normally drink coquito during the uh, holiday time. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that's, we, yeah, we did that, the coquito, you know, for that reason. And, you know, to, to honor Carlos and, and, uh, and his family and, and, and my wife and all and you know. And so, but in the same token, you know, being the... Uh, the underdog in the in the whiskey industry, uh, I had to prove myself, right? Um, and that's where you know you see that we 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 made brandy at one point. Yeah, we made rum. We made a whole bunch of different type of spirit, and you know, so there's two ways to call yourself a master distiller, right? One is to go through an apprenticeship uh, under a master distiller for about ten years, and then uh, and then you get bestowed the title, or or the other one is to own your own company. <laughs> yeah. So that's the quickest one. And uh, so most people uh, chose the second option. But I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't have time for an apprenticeship and I didn't want to just call myself a master distiller. So I said, you know what, I'm going to make all different types of whiskey out there and spirits and at least have it in the market and sell at least one bottle. Then I could comfortably call myself master distiller. And that's why I did what I did. Wow. I, I would imagine that it is a very difficult industry to break into because there are these companies that have massive marketing dollars from years and years of being yeah. of being an established company. Um, you, you know, is, is that were there a lot of hurdles to to entering the business? Uh, you know, the great thing that the timing of my my distillery was 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 almost right where the movement of the micro brewery was, you know, starting to become very popular. And so the, within the, the, the distillery world, we, we started the micro distillery movement and you know, the craft and all that stuff. So, so it was a great timing. Uh, it, it was as hard, it's still hard to compete with the big corporation that's out there. Cause they, like you say, they have the big marketing uh, money and, and uh, campaign. So we focus locally, you know, that's our, our, most of our model is this local craft, you know, spirit. And then from there, you know, we'll see what happens. So, so, so at the craft level was not so hard. It just, the pricing was hard because right. A lot of people, you could get a bottle of Jim Bean for $29, you know, whereas in the craft world, that same drink would probably be forty, fifty dollars. So to try to justify the cost is is actually the challenge, mm. the challenging part of it. Well, the first time I had your Lao Lao was recording this podcast. I recorded with a Lao American chef who does uh, like pop up meals and events okay. and things like that. And we sat down in his kitchen, and you know we passed it back and forth while we recorded and that sort of scenario, you know, did bring me back to Southeast Asia. It, it, it felt like a, 
a very authentic experience that I would experience there. Um, and I, I feel very hopeful for the Lao food movement because I think now with the internet and the, the popularity of food television and food media and yep. food shows on YouTube, um, you know, people can sort of in their own way travel all around the world just by sitting in front of their computer. And so they're going to be familiarizing themselves more. And so there are a lot of companies now uh, across the sort of like food medium. Uh, just the other day, I bought um, like a chili sauce online from a, a company. I think they're called Auntie Bees or, or Aunt Bees. Um, and I'm seeing more and more Lao companies mm-hmm. pop up. So I think that you're also a major part of that in, in, in familiarizing people with this stuff and introducing them to something new, uh, something amazing and delicious. And so, yeah. And so I, I, you know, I, I have much, much respect for what you do. And, um, you know, whenever I get to speak to somebody who's doing something similar, it's, it's a real honor. So I'm, I'm very happy to, to share your story. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. It's, uh, like, it, it, it takes a community to raise a child. So, you know, same thing with, with, with our culture and heritage, you know, we as males should need to come together, you know, as a community and, and be proud of who we are. And I think, and I think the next generation understood that. And, and that's why we're seeing so much more, uh, you know, Lao restaurant popping up now, believe it or not. You know, there's yeah. a new one that just, just uh, opened up in Baltimore City, you know. Oh. And uh, so it was a 100% Lao food. <laughs> like, you know, it, it wasn't, it's not watered down. It's not, you know, it's what you would get if you go to visit a Lao family. That's the kind of food you'll get. So, so I'm very, uh, very happy with that, and very proud, you know, that our community is starting to understand and, and uh, come together. Uh, so yeah, and then you know, folks like you that do these broadcasts, uh, podcasts, I'm sorry, um, helps out, you know, helps the movement, you know, it helps get the words out there. So, uh, so I would want to thank you for what you're doing, and uh, yeah, definitely, and uh, hopefully we'll meet the, meet each other someday and. Enjoy some more la la. Yeah, I mean, of course. Listen, this is—I've had many great experiences around the world. I've been hosted by people. I've been treated with kindness. So it, this is my very small way of returning that karma. Um, I mean, even like something as silly as right before all this crap that just happened at the Capitol, um, I had been in D.C. and up on columbia street is it uh we went to yeah yeah, we went to thipkow and it's like the place is amazing um so yeah it's just i'm returning that karma um how can so i'll link to social media so everyone listening you know go to the show notes and you can uh you can find a direct hyperlink to social media and the website how might people go about finding if you're available to purchase in stores near them so we're we're actually we're working our um, redoing our website to be able to provide that information. So it's www. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. Wow. Well, you know what I'll do? Uh, I'll I'll, li- I'll link it's straight a, to it. It's so. wtigerd.com. Okay, cool. Is the website, <clears throat> and then uh, social media, Facebook is really the best uh, the best location because we keep that updated like real time. So um, we always post a list of stores and so forth that carry our product. Awesome. Cool. So I'll have everybody do that. Um, Again, thank you. This was a real treat. No, thank you. I appreciate it, 
Hey, that's a wrap on episode 205 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thank you so much to Itzara. Thank you to White Tiger. This was really cool. I got to learn a lot about rice whiskey. And now, even though it's only 10 a.m. right now, I would really like some. Thank you, Voyagers, everyone tuning in. If this is your first time, thanks so much for joining. I hope that uh, you check out some more episodes. Please like, subscribe, uh, give me positive reviews, tell people. That all helps to get these stories out to, to more folks. Listen, this isn't a money-making operation for me. It is a labor of love. And conversations like this one are ones that really make me happy. So there will be many, many more. Okay, thanks, Voyagers. As always, please take care of each other. And la con to all of my Lao people. Catch you soon, folks.